Super Talk Mississippi media production. In the Mississippi Legislature, Senate Bill 2145 funds health care for illegal immigrants. Call your legislator today at 601-359-3770. Ask them to stop Senate Bill 2145. It's not too late. You can help stop this. Paid for by Building America's Future. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. Right. Hey, 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 thanks for hanging with us today as my guest is Louisiana-made but Mississippi-raised. He was a tremendous athlete growing up and came from the highest of gene stock in the world of professional wrestling, where his family name, well, was so respected, admired, and cheered for, especially by me. Please welcome multiple world champion professional wrestler, among many other things, speaker, consultant, you name it, Ted DiBiase Jr. Hey, hey, Ted, what's up? Man, Steve, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for having me today. I, lo- I love being, you know, I've come to the conclusion, all my wrestler friends, that obviously you've, you've got many walks of life, but all my wrestler friends are the nicest people in the world, and I'm glad because I just don't want to be put in one of those holes that I can't get out of. <laughs> oh man, that, you ain't got nothing to worry about. You know, my my biggest fear is uh, somebody's going to actually test me one day, and I was throwing fake punches so long that I'm going to go to hit somebody that to defend myself, and I'm going to throw a fake punch, and they're going to laugh at me, and then <laughs> really choke me out or drop me. <laughs> Just old habit, you know. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so Ted, are you uh, back? Are you are you home in Mississippi right now? I am I am home, man. Yeah, I left uh, I left WWE in uh, 2013 in August, and uh, about a year after I had a, a my, my first child. And man, it was just um, my contract had come up, and they asked me to renew, and it was it was just time for something new, and, and I wanted to be there for my son. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I live in uh, Madison. Uh, my wife and I, my married my high school sweetheart, man. I don't know how I. I did. She outplanted my coverage, and, uh, you know, she stuck around. She knew me before all the hoopla and then kept me after it. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. Well, your your uh, road yeah. your road is probably a lot similar to mine. I mean, you're gone a lot. Um, and uh, as you yeah. start having children, you want to be able to uh, be around. You know, it's I was gone so much. Yeah. My, my I was able to take our kids as they got, you know, old enough. Uh, like you know, three, four, five to to be able to handle on the road. I take them on the road because I just you know when I was gone for three weeks at a time, right. I just didn't want to miss them that much, you know. So right. Uh, but as what got difficult for us was when when we we would uh, be out going a while and then they started school and you couldn't get them out of school. So um, yeah. 
you know, that's when the separation for me, and then as, as they started to grow up and, and turn into individuals and, and, and they had their own personalities and, and, and their talents, you wanted to be around those talents to be able to celebrate with them. So I understand right. being the dad, I can tell you. We're talking to Ted DiBiase Jr. Ted, so you, you were born in Louisiana, right? Baton um, Rouge, that's right. Baton Rouge, I love it. All right, let, let me. Yeah. I want to go back and talk about your dad first because obviously, okay, you know, I grew up. Um, I'm between generations with you and your dad, so I grew up uh, watching wrestling, and and your dad was just such a fixture in my mind, and 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 growing up, and and how important he was for the sport. So let's. Yeah. I want to talk about that growing up as a child, you know, and and you experiencing that. When was your earliest experience of watching him and, and the influence he had on your, you know, not only your career, but your life? Man, yeah. Um, I, I tell you, it's, uh, I didn't realize who he was probably until I'd say I was around seven or eight when the kids in the neighborhood uh, started to want to come over every Saturday. And they bring their wrestling buddies, you know, <laughs> and uh, we we back the couches back, and you know, uh, coming off the the couch and dropping elbows on on the wrestling buddies while watching my dad, and you know, I, I mean, I had a lot of girlfriends, you know, in in, in first and second grade, and uh, <laughs> they thought it was real cool. No, we broke a lot of lamps, and and I, I tell you, one of my first memories though of of him wrestling was. I think it was a WrestleMania. Um, his first WrestleMania was at WrestleMania four, the tournament when he uh, he wrestled uh, three times and ended up wrestling in the main event. My dad main evented WrestleMania in his first Mania, wow. and he wrestled uh, Savage. And uh, that was that was kind of the day, Steve, that he um, he became just this like larger than life hero to me. You know, and I was like, "Man, my dad is so cool." <laughs> um, yeah, but that that was like the first memory, and you know, I, I tell people all the time when when I'm speaking. You know, I grew up in a locker room with Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Brutus the Barber, Beefcake, Jake the Snake, Roberts, The Undertaker, uh, who I've wrestled. You know, Shawn Michael, who I've wrestled, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who I wrestled. Wow. Uh, my Right before I went on TV, right before they gave me my, my TV contract, um, they put me on the road for about a month, uh, and I would do the, the house shows, you know, mm -hmm. the live events that aren't televised, and I was wrestling Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, and they did, they did that, so you just kind of get acclimated to these much, much larger crowds. You know, I went from wrestling in front of like 200 people, sometimes 12 people, which I've actually done before, <laughs> and uh, to 20,000. You know, right. and it's, oh, a, wow. it's a big, big leap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, uh, but when Hacksaw came out there, man, of course, he was just adored and the fans loved him. And all he had to say was, USA, and do the thumbs up, oh, and shake his two before round. And so I'm in, I'm an instant heel, you know? <laughs> so it was, uh, but it was cool getting to have that experience, um, you know, it, but watching, watching those guys, I remember uh, the first time I met Andre the Giant was at Madison Square Garden, and he was sitting in a, a like this steel chair, you know, that it's actually two of them put together. Yeah, I was he about was to ask. I mean, it had to be a couple, <laughs> at least a couple. <laughs> yeah, dude, he was huge. And I was pretty cool with everybody, but, like, this guy, 
could literally eat me if he wanted to. I looked like a chicken wing to him, you know. And um, my dad would, he would force me to go introduce myself, shake hands, look him in the eye, you know, say hello, introduce yourself. I, I, fine, I did that with everybody. How old were you about room. during this time, Ted? And that was, uh, I was probably six or seven. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, I was I was tiny. And I'll never forget. It. He 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 said, "Son, go go introduce yourself to Andre." And I was like, "No, <laughs> no." He said, "Son, you want me to take this belt off?" And I was like, "Dad." <laughs> so I went over there and I eased up to him. I got my hand out, and man, sitting down, Andre the Giant reached out and he palmed the top of my head like a basketball yeah. and lifted me up with one arm, set me on his leg, and patted the top of my head. And he's like. Hey, little buddy, <laughs> you know, and uh, and I thought it was the coolest thing. And so I'm following him around all day at Madison Square Garden. He's standing up, lifting me up by my head all day. And then that night, I watched my dad wrestle Hulk Hogan. Man. And Andre came out, you know, and he did something, and they tried to cheat, and Hogan won. But um, I remember listening to the crowd, you know. I remember watching these larger-than-life, I mean, they were like real-life, superheroes and my dad was one of them yeah and uh i just fell in love with it and and he he instantly was my hero and that was that was just a, a memory that i uh, carried with me you know and i always wanted to wrestle but all my life my dad said no never over my dead body right, right. <laughs> um because you know the road life i mean he was gone 300 days out of the year and uh so I didn't really grow up with my dad. I saw him just like everybody else did, mostly on TV. Wow. And uh, that's before iPhones and, you know, the FaceTime and all this stuff. But, um, yeah, so it uh, – it, but I never felt like I, I was without a dad. I mean, he was, he, was, he was always good to call and be active and, and proud of my sports achievements and all those things. But there was all that, like, secret inkling and desire and dream to give it a go and give it a shot. I was just prayed every night that God would tell Lord, just change his mind, you know, yeah. tell him I can, I can wrestle. So anyway, that's kind of where it started, you know, my desire, but it was an interesting childhood, man. I'll say that for sure. Well, so, so we're talking, we're talking to Ted DiBiase Jr. Uh, you're on a Mississippi minute and we're having a blast here. Hey, it's to, to Ted, uh, you mentioned like I remember going from playing. You said Madison Square Garden. I remember going from playing underneath it, at the, uh, you know, where the trains come in, right? Like yeah. for serious radio. And then within eight months, I was playing in Madison in in the garden. And I remember telling the crowd, on, I was just underneath you eight months ago, and now I'm here. Wow. And uh, I just remember going like, you know, it's the transition how fast it just all of a sudden happens and all yeah. of a sudden you're there well it didn't happen fast for me i was 37 or 8 when i had my first hit so i was wow. very hard-headed and stubborn and uh and i'm glad I, I never had uh the foresight of the future you know because I, I don't know if i would have had the guts to keep fighting and i know in your career you probably had some uh, roads that I want to talk about in our next segment. You're in a Mississippi Minute. Sure. We're with the fabulous Ted DiBiase Jr. We'll be right back. In 
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We are rolling in 60, all 60 Mississippi Minutes, because that's how we go. It takes a while to get the story out. I'm with Ted DiBiase Jr. Ted, looking back at, at what your dad and, and that group of guys did for the sport uh, to be able to make a bigger living, and then what did they endure and sort of go through, uh, you know, and what was the money like, I guess is where I'm trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a great question, and and man, it's uh, it, it's it's uh, very similar to I guess I'd say like the NFL. You know, you look at these contracts now that these guys are getting. I mean, what's the league minimum up to? Like three seventy five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, but these guys they got like retirement plans and stuff, and uh, you know, I was an independent contractor. Right. Believe it or not, I don't know how Vince pulled that off, but. Because we couldn't go anywhere else, but uh, you know, my dad and, and Hulk Hogan that era, uh, you'll, you'll have to check out the Price of Fame uh, documentary I just produced uh, on my father, kind of telling his story through my eyes. But it, there's some really good interviews, and uh, just kind of tell the rise of, of wrestling. You know, when when fans believed it was real, and you know, I mean, they were just passionate. It was crazy. There was no social media, you know, and they were. They were rock stars when they rolled into town, and that's really see that's a, and, and that was a lifestyle, you know, really a rock star lifestyle. They, it was, uh, you know, drugs, alcohol, women, booze, um, and these guys. They were it, the only way they made money was if they worked, you know, and there weren't these big, huge contracts. Most of it was based on the the gate. You know, they get a percentage based on where they are on the card. That That's what they're getting. And uh, so they're working nonstop. I mean, my dad would put easily put, you know, 5,000 miles in, in, in uh, just a, a week, you know. And they were working small towns for so long back in the territory days, you know, before Vince bought up everybody, which he was genius. He stole all the, all the top stars and brought them up to New York and they're, you know, created the WWF. But my dad always kept, when I when I started wrestling, he's like, "You're making what? I mean, I'm a Hall of Famer. I made it in WrestleMania, and I'm not. I never made that much." I was like, "Yeah, man, appreciate it, Pop." You know, uh, but they um, they were giants. I mean, mostly giants, and they were. You remember all like the characters. Well, you yeah, know, they, they were all characters. I mean, it was amazing. You know, everybody really had to have our, their their personalities were like. I mean, they're like you said, superhero like, right? Yeah, or or, just or a crazy. villain. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah, and and but that you're right. There was it was very clear who was the villain and who was who was the baby face, the good guy. We call them heels and baby faces. You know, <laughs> wow. the heels, bad guys. Yeah, and so. Um, and, and there was there was clear distinction, and they told great wholesome family stories in the beginning, and uh, they're kind of back to that. But they went through that attitude era where Vince was just about ratings, and he wasn't worried about being mainstream or going public with the company. But um, you know, back then it was you know you had a couple. Uh, there were three or four top guys that made like top guy money, like Hulk Hogan. I mean, he made millions, and Savage, and and Ric Flair. You know. And uh, and a lot of that was built on politics, man. And and my dad personally, um, 
you know, Vince basically gave him just a lot of money everywhere he went and was like, if you buy a stick of gum at a convenience store, pay for it with a hundred dollar bill. Yeah. First class everywhere. Yeah. So he had some perks, but he didn't have that big, big time money or the, the share and all the merchandise, you know, right. There was that, some, yeah. Well, this, you're right. Every, every major sport has gone through this growth, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, you look what Tiger Woods has done for golf. You look, you know, I mean, it, there's, there's just so the purses have gone crazy. Uh, yeah. and, and we're talking Ted DiBiase Jr. Ted, let's, uh, so let's talk. You said something about when people realize, you know, it wasn't real. Okay. I thought it was real, you know, and then you start hearing if it's fake and you're, you're going like, there's no way you're not going to tell me it's fake. So how does the sport when the jig is up, you know, everybody knows mm. the truth. How does it still yeah. prosper like that when you know there's so much acting going on? I, I tell you what, it, it was uh, the leadership and the vision of Vince McMahon. And I, I just have to give him credit. I certainly don't agree with all of his leadership style, uh, <laughs> but the guy is brilliant. He just, he just knew that entertainment was not going anywhere, that the fan base was not going to go anywhere. And, uh, and he just came out and to avoid all the, you know, I think it, it was uh, around the, there was the big dispute about steroids and stuff, which, you know, especially once they went public, there was, I mean, dude, I couldn't even take Sudafed or I would pop, you know, yeah. and, and they drug test you now. And so you're held, held to a much higher standard. There's wellness policies. They monitor, uh, uh, concussions and all those things. And so, they're, they're more proactive and, and taking care of their, their, their talent. But um, that transition, it blows my mind too, man. But he knew that uh, people were looking for an outlet, and they loved wrestling. Everybody's got a wrestling story, you know, or somebody in their family was a closet fan or a fanatic. It just crossed over, and so it wasn't going anywhere. It was the live movie theater, and, and that's how people began to view it, and it was a, it, it was cool because he still delivered a great product and it was a spectacle. It's like going to a circus. You just take it for what it is and you know, and you pay your ticket and you buy your t-shirts and all the video games anyway. And uh, he created a freaking money machine, man. Uh, brilliant, cool. brilliant guy. Well, let me let me ask you, uh, like, let's talk about your body after versus mm-hmm. your dad's body after. My dad, man, he's had two two knee, uh, complete knee replacements. You know, before that, he had a couple of knee surgeries. He's had two neck fusions. Um, I, But my dad put 23 years in the ring. with, And I'm talking about no off-season, man. That guy wrestled four yeah. years with a torn ACL. Because in, in wrestling, you know, there's no off-season. So uh, it, it may be fake, but I'd like to say we're some of the toughest people. You have to be. You just become callous to pain. Your tolerance goes out the roof because if you're if you're if you get injured and you have to be off the card, well, you lose your spot, you know, because the show must go on, and there's always somebody there that can replace you. So those guys were they were the real deal, old school, just grit. I mean, uh, they were they were. T- my body is pretty good. I only did uh, my shoulder. I had a shoulder surgery, but I did. I broke nine bones in my ankle. Impaction fracture on my right knee, torn meniscus, eight broken ribs, broke oh. both my arms twice, uh, two bulging discs, 152 staples in my head, and what? I don't know how many concussions. Yeah, How'd you get so the staples? Kofi Kingston's elbow twice, John Cena's elbow once. He was trying to 
be funny one night and mimic uh, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream, and coming in throwing these out, and he just hit me square in the middle of my head with his giant freaking arm, oh. and it oh my god busted me up. And then Randy Orton uh, slammed my head into uh, the mat. One of the refs had not put the mat all the way over the two by six, so he oh, threw shit. me into a two by six. <laughs> Oh my god! That wasn't that wasn't fun. Yeah. Hey, let so me ask you. I got so, a bunch of those. Well, let me ask you. So that's a lot of in, that's a ton of injuries. So, you're you think about it. You're putting out the energy to to stay in shape. We're talking to Ted DiBiase Jr. Ted to stay in shape. What was your day like? Every day, my day for uh, six years straight was wake up, uh, eat a bar on the way to the gym, go to the gym, work out. I put in an hour, hour and a half. I was doing cardio and stretching. And, uh, and then you spend the rest of the day, um, you know, kind of babying your ailments because there was not a day you work without pain. There's just not. And, uh, or injured. You're always injured. And, um, and then you, you, you spend a, you know, a couple hours before a match warming up and getting ready and getting your body loose only to get beat up again. And then you get in a car at 11.30 p.m. every night, and you drive to the next town. So you're stuck in there for 300 miles going to Peoria, Illinois. Yeah. And uh, you get get in at 3 a.m., and you, you get kicked out by the maids, and you do that every single night. Wow. You know, Then you, you fly home on, on Wednesday, and you're home. You get home half a day, and then you get Thursday, and then you leave again on Friday, and you do it again. And, uh, yeah. and, and then we did several international tours during the year, which were three weeks uh, away, you know, which you're wrestling every night, uh, different city, different country, you know, wherever you're at, whatever continent. So, so you marry your high school man. sweetheart, and how long yeah. were you married while your career – so your career started and stopped while y'all were married? Yeah, um, in 2008 is when I debuted. Uh, I got married in October of 2008. It was supposed to be November, but I got cast in the Marine too. I was uh, the lead role in the movie The Marine 2. It was way better than John Cena's. Um, <laughs> but uh, so all those wedding plans my wife, you know, had, they were out the window. And we had this, like, uh, impromptu wedding my mom planned in a couple of days. And, yeah, so we got married the same year I debuted. And uh, somehow she stuck with me through all that. Of course she um, Man, she's amazing. I yeah, love, she's it. I love hearing that. And I'm blessed. Yeah. I, I love hearing yeah, that. I've got, the, I've got the same situation, and, and I'm, I'm, ble- I'm thankful for it every day. Mm. You get to play DJ right now, by the way, Ted. Uh, mm. Mississippi is the birthplace of it all. This is where music began. It's uh, influenced the world. Take us into the break with a little Jimmy Rogers or Jimmy Buffett. Oh, let's go Jimmy Buffett, man. I just got back from the beach, and I want to be there still. All right, we're going to do it. We're Ted DiBiase, Jr. I'm Steve Azar in Mississippi Minute. Play it, Will. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're with the fabulous Louisiana-born, Mississippi-made, raised, Ted DiBiase Jr. Ted, we're, uh, I want you to talk to me about your book, but before you talk to me about your book, 
I want to understand how you had the guts to walk into the ring with The Undertaker. Because that guy freaks me out, man. I'm telling you. And, I mean, uh, and tell me about it. I want to know what kind of guy he was. Because I, I don't know if I do. I, I want to know that he was a good guy because those are the, you know, those are the kind of movies you go see that freak me out. They're the ones that have anything to do with sort of some the devil, you know. Mm. They're the ones that scare yeah. me. Sorry. So what was it like being in the ring with him? And what kind of guy was he? The best, the best way I can describe Taker. Tom Take is John Wayne. He was the John Wayne of wrestling. You know, I mean, he we call him shooters. You know, he was a, a shooter. He was a legit tough guy. Uh, was wrestled with broken backs and like he he is the epitome of you know uh, just toughness. And he had the respect of everybody. It's just like when he entered the room. It was like the Godfather just walked in, or the president. You know, he carried a, an even complete different level of respect and demanded it than Vince McMahon. And um, and man, he was the one guy. When uh, I'll never forget the first time I was in the ring with him. I we had gone out first, and I wrestled him. I had the distinct honor to wrestle him and Triple H and Shawn Michaels every single night for two and a half weeks straight in Europe. Um, uh, when we did a tour over there and, uh, you know, DX would, uh, we'd come out, then DX would come out. And when the DX music hit, there was this like insane noise level that the fans were at. But then when that dong, that gong hit, you know, it was like, you hear that first gong and, you know, the Undertaker's coming out. It went to a whole nother level. <laughs> I love it. And every single night is like chills stand up on the back of your neck, you know, cover your body. And it's just this kind of like outer body experience. Yeah. And he literally brought fear. It's like, oh my God, you, you forget for a moment that you, this is not real. And uh, you're like, oh my God, this guy can kill me. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the best experiences of my, my time there. I just love it. You talk about mm-hmm. Vince, you talk about all this stuff. Um, you think about Don King in the fight in the boxing world. How did politics play, uh, and and how much of it did you have to did you have to deal with and play and play you know to to, to succeed? Oh, man. I'll say this: a lot of people thought that uh, you know would, would throw it out there. Oh, you you made it because your dad, and you know, I dealt with all that crap. Whatever. Right. Uh, the one thing that probably helped me in the beginning was uh, I did have a name, but it was my talent and my work ethic that sustained me for a little while, you know, in, in a, in a top spot. Um, but then as the, the kind of, the kind of the run with uh, legacy was probably my most successful tenure with WWE when Cody Rhodes and Randy Orton and myself had this faction, man, that it was, it was wild, you know, and it, it kind of felt like it was never going to end. But then it did, and uh, then I was introduced to the world of politics, and uh, I was actually supposed to wrestle uh, either John Cena or Randy Orton in a singles match at WrestleMania 26, the only WrestleMania I wrestled in, Scottsdale, Arizona, front 74,000 people, crazy. Um, uh, But politics got in the way, you know, and it ended up becoming a triple threat, and then the next day they, like, put put the million dollar belt on me and I didn't want it. And I, I, up until then I had not had a, a reason to like be, be, you know, politicking in the back, like pitching, pitching ideas and, and, right. you know, um, angles with the writers 
I was I was just handed a script every day, and I was put on three segments, and I was main event every night. I was on the pay per views, and right. so it was just like I wasn't dealing with it. Well, then all of a sudden, I had to like reinvent myself. And I'll be honest with you, man, nobody was there to help me, and um, and so I had to learn the hard way. My my career took kind of a dive, and and I was dealing with some stuff personally, and then too because you know I was like, what is the meaning of all this. I've got a bunch of money and, and success and fame now, but I feel more empty than I've ever been. Right. Because uh, I, was, I was very self-absorbed and it was just about chasing money and success. And now I live my life for significance. You know, the great, great quote I love is, uh, once you taste it, significance, success will never taste the same. John wow. Michael. I love that. And, um, but yeah, politics is huge, man. If you don't know how to play that game, if you're not willing to sell your soul to the devil, and and be a company man, meaning there's there are things that happen in the background that, you know, to, what they say is to test your loyalty. That uh, I just was not willing to compromise, and right. or you know, destroy my relationship with my wife. My family comes from God first, it. family second. Yeah, right. And um and man, so I, I did. I took a hit, bro, and it was uh, it hurt because I just I realized then, Steve, that. Uh, no matter how how much more I work, my my work ethic or whatever I put in, the scale of my success was determined by somebody writing my name on a sheet of paper with their pen, based on a personal opinion. It wasn't it wasn't me getting uh you know getting what out of it what I put into it because I I went above and beyond and I did extra things trying to enhance my brand, but. Politics crushed it, man. But uh, I learned a valuable lesson, and uh, you learn a lot about yourself in, in that entertainment world. I'm sure you can relate, bro. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And I love the fact that you know you go out and speak, and you and you, you've got a book, it's the Price of Fame. Tell me about it. Well, well, Steve, uh, this, this happens a lot. I am actually in the process of writing my book right now, but it, it's a documentary. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, I, there's I yeah. My one mistake. Yeah. I do it every show, <laughs> brother. I got hit in the head with a lot of steel chairs, and uh, <laughs> Shawn Michaels super kicked me plenty of times. I got lots of concussions, and uh, yeah, it's all good. Uh, let's talk about but, the documentary. Yeah. Yes, the documentary, The Price of Fame. Um, man, I tell you what, I learned a lot about myself, a lot about my father. I got to go to Wilcox, Arizona, and see uh, where he grew up. You know, you hear the stories. We hear the stories from our fathers growing up, and. Uh, it's cool, but when you like go and you see and you walk in the, in the footsteps, uh, I saw where he grew up, this little know nothing town that he came out of, and uh, his father died at the age of fifteen, and he visited his gravesite every night, and you know he was his, his dad was an inspiration to to get out of there, you know, and and my grandfather and my grandmother were both wrestlers, so I'm a third generation wrestler. So uh, he was that. my dad's hero too, and um, but it's it's it, it's it's about my it's it's really me going back and, and interviewing other people and and telling kind of my dad's story through my my, uh, my eyes, and, but also having a first time encounter with my mom and my dad, a first time face to face conversation about my dad's departure from the WWE, which. My dad was not one of the guys addicted to alcohol, drugs, or, or, or booze. His addiction was women, you know. And my dad's an ordained minister now with a ministry called Heart of David Ministry, and they do incredible work. Uh, and I, I serve on that board. Um, 
but it, it's I had those conversations. I had heard him talk about it before, but never had the hey dad, why'd you do it? You know, like when you face the fact that your your greatest hero in life hurt the other person that you love the most in life, like, and then you you talk to him about it. It was right. that awkward conversation, and and so we we put that out there, you know, and we were very vulnerable and telling that story and hope that you know people would be encouraged that marriages can survive that, you know. And, and my mom and dad are better than they've ever been, and they're changing lives, man. Restoration is is possible through Christ. You know, we're yeah. unapologetic about our faith, and, and my dad, he, uh, you know, when he left, WWE is all about integrity and character and loving others better than yourself. And those were the, those were, I mean, the, the thing that I admire the most about my dad is not being a Hall of Famer in WWE. It's the fact that he had the courage to step out and not knowing what he was going to do, you know, because he left the only thing he ever knew, and uh, to, but to be there for his family, to be a father, to be the spiritual leader in the household, and to support my mom. And, man, they kept our family together, and, and we're, we're, we're better and stronger than we've ever been. So it's a, it's a story about, yes, his rise of success in, in WWE, uh, but also it's a story about pain and suffering yeah. that I think a lot of people can relate to, but, but there's hope. And there's forgiveness, there's grace, yeah. there's a love that's unconditional, and there's there's restoration, man, and redemption. And, and so um, it's powerful, man. A lot of people, uh, we've had incredible feedback of lives being changed, marriages being restored. And so it was worth the four years and all the personal money invested. Um, and it's just something I'll never forget, an experience I'll never forget. Well, you're, leaving, uh, you're leaving this legacy uh, for people mm. to see. It's a, it's a moving, walking, living, breathing uh, you know, piece of y'all's history. And I love you using the word powerful and the word forgiveness together because the two together, you know, it's, uh, forgiveness is extremely powerful and extremely mm. satisfying when you can truly do it you know, with your heart. And, uh, and it's not easy. So uh, right. it's, it's a difficult thing. I love. I just love hearing this, and I love. I love knowing that uh, this. This sounds like so powerful. How can people see this? Uh, you can. You can go to iTunes. Uh, the DVDs I think are for sale at Walmart right now. Uh, but it's uh, it's on iTunes, and um, I think going to Netflix soon. I'm not sure. I should know that, but uh, so cool. Been pretty busy. We got it. We're talking to Ted DiBiase Jr. I'm Steve Azar in Mississippi Minute. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Steve Azar on Facebook.com Steve Azar Live and listen to all my music, Steve Azar and Steve Azar and the King's Men, wherever you download or stream. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Steve Azar, we are rolling. I'm with Ted DiBiase Jr. Ted, so let's talk about your. I want to talk back backtrack a little bit to your athletic days in football and soccer. Um, sure. Uh, you grew up obviously, and you played at Mississippi College. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I um, I went to Clinton High School, and uh, I was a receiver up until my senior year, and our quarterback left. So I played quarterback uh, my senior year. Man, we were we were good. Uh, we were 16 in the nation in the USA Today poll Wow, uh, that year. And I'd like to say it was because of me, <laughs> but that'd be a lie. <laughs> uh, 
I was, um, I, I had a, I just had studs all around me. You know, like everybody went D1, you know, except me. Um, you know, I had some looks or offers, but I just never saw myself going D1. And I wanted, if I was going to play, it was going to be like in the SEC. At SEC. It, it just worked out. Uh, ended up going to MC, Mississippi College, and, and that's where I wasn't going to play. But then I went out there one day and I was like tearing it up, you know, and I was like, man. I can do this. So I played a couple of years. I uh, got hurt my second year, hurt my ankle. And then uh, my my real love in sports was soccer. You know, I was a, a great soccer player. And um, I got invited when I was in ninth grade to try for the national team. Wow. I made the Southeast regional team. So, yeah, man, it was uh, – it just wasn't as big. It wasn't what it is today. Yeah. You know, so there was no, there was no options or opportunity beyond college. And I was like – I guess I was just making my first responsible decision saying, what am I going to do for the rest of my right. life? Because <laughs> I don't care if you're in D1 or D3. At college level, man, that's like a full-time job. And trying to be a student, you know, I was, I'm was i dyslexic, uh, and I proudly say that I was the first and only person in my family to graduate, mostly because that was my dad's wishes, and I wanted to honor that. And I think because I did that, he, he had no no nothing to stand on when I said, okay, I did what you asked me to do. I want to wrestle. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I want to be like you. So uh, reluctantly, he gave me his blessing, and uh, you know the rest is history. Did he? Did he teach you a lot? Did you get to? And besides watching him, did he ever spend any time in the ring and working, working on moves and stuff together? Like at no, all? Man, no, no, and and uh, and I'm glad he did uh, because it was really important to me to stand on my own feet you know, my own two feet and to, uh, blaze my own path. And, uh, I didn't, I could have gone to WWE developmental right away. They would have, that would have, that's the thing. His name would have gotten me that developmental contract, but I chose to move to Eldon, Missouri, which I nicknamed Heldon misery. Uh, <laughs> it was horrible. And I worked four jobs while I was chasing my dream. I woke up for an entire year, every day, 3.57 a.m. I cut 18 fairways. I left there. I stocked produce at the Hy-Vee grocery store. I left there four days a week, I, I, and I'd go train for four hours and learn how to fall down. <laughs> and, wow. then I tra- and then I work out. And on weekends, I folded underwear and T-shirts, polo factory outlet mall, and every night, six days a week, at 11.30 p.m., I swept him off the gym floor for a free membership. And this is, as a college graduate, son of a million-dollar man, you know. But, and I like sharing that because I man, love hearing anybody, anybody listening, like, if you really want something, you, you'll do whatever it takes exactly. to make it happen. And it takes insane work ethic and commitment and sacrifice. And so that's what, that, I'm, I'm more proud of that, Steve. Oh, yeah. I cherish that time more so than I do even being in the pay-per-views and, and on TV. That that was just like gravy. It's that process. Like I said, you can't go in looking, knowing, seeing the future because it may scare you to death. You got to go through it, you know, and just got to take it as That's it comes. Right. And I love No here, option B. <laughs> no option. And, and, and everybody asks me, they talk, and I'm sure in your world as well, that no option B. They ask, well, we'll have this to fall back on. What are you talking about? You have to be all in. You got to be mm-hmm. all in. You got to work. 10 times harder than that guy or that girl you have to because you're not that good. You know what I mean? That's in my mind. I, and I still feel that way. Hey, let's talk about your championships before we leave. You had a lot of them. I mean, there's some other small independent, you know, 
championship belts I held. I was a, a FCW champion. I was a, the million dollar champion. Right. <laughs> um, that was started by my father. That was pretty cool. Got us that that uh, twin set action figure set. Um, so cool. <laughs> but I was a, a two time uh, tag team champion and um, world tag team champion. And uh, of one of those, I pinned John Cena. Uh, you know, so that was. For all the thousands of times that he defeated me, I got one, you know? <laughs> now, you were with Christy. Um, were you Christy with that? Was that your partner? Cody Rhodes. Cody. Okay, Cody. Cody okay. And Cody um, I was destined for the uh, WWE Championship, but um, politics get in the way, man. Um, there was a, a Stephanie McMahon actually had said at one time that to the shareholders that when I came on board in you know, 2008-9, when things were rocking, uh, she, she said, hey, we've got this new guy, Ted DiBiase, and you know, he could be our next John Cena, face of the company. And you know, that probably went to my head a little bit. I wish I had never heard of that. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> uh, but you know, young and dumb, and uh, you live and learn. Pride goes poor fall, man. Well, I just love Well, listen, I can't wait to uh, get to know you better in the future. I've heard so many great things about you from our boy John Bond. And uh, I know you met Cabo. And, uh, yeah. You met him in... Uh, in uh, Cleveland. And, yeah, yeah, in, in, in Ohio. Exactly. So I love yeah. it. And uh, I love it. Well, listen, we're going to get together soon. And I can't thank you for taking uh, a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them with me. And uh, blessings to you and your family. And, uh, and we'll get together soon. Man, back at you, Steve. Thank you so much, brother. Appreciate all you're doing, man. You too, brother. Thank you. Bless you. Talk to you later. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.